following program is pre-recorded. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. Hugh Hewitt. That music means the Hillsdale Dialogue is upon us. The last radio hour of the week for many, many years. Dr. Larry Arnn, president of Hillsdale College and one of his colleagues, uh, usually always with Dr. Arnn, sometimes not with him, will join me and we'll talk about big issues, big ideas, old books, old ideas, important things. Rarely, however, do I talk about an op-ed. But I'm doing so this week because I'm a serial enthusiast, and people know that. I get very excited about some things. And so you're, you're wise to check my enthusiasm. But I read a piece by Arthur Herman at the end of last month, January 30th. It appeared in the Wall Street Journal. Arthur Herman is a historian, and he may be a friend of Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. I don't know. Is he a friend of yours, Dr. Arn? Oh, yeah. Oh, you do know Arthur? Sure. Okay, yeah. I, I only know him from the radio, which is sort of knowing people, but not like knowing people. Yeah, so, I know him well. He's, he's a hoot, by the way. He's a, he, 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 you live in D.C., have dinner with him. Oh, To Rule the Waves is one of my favorite books on British history ever. And uh, well, every book that Arthur writes is great. He wrote a book about the Vikings, though, and he wanted to know if I, if I wanted to talk to him about the Vikings, and I said I declined. I, I don't think the Vikings makes for good morning radio. Do you? Well, yeah, and there's always the danger that they'll come and raid and pillage your home. Well, I know, but that was good for England, and you know, all told, <laughs> it was it was rough at the time. It's like going to Hillsdale College, as we discussed last week. But anyway, Arthur wrote this piece. I'm going to read three or four paragraphs on it. We may be on the verge, Arthur Herman wrote, of the most consequential U.S. political political realignment in almost a century. The cause is COVID. Or to be precise, the mishandling of the pandemic response by government, media, and the scientific establishment. As the Great Depression destroyed the American electorate's faith in Wall Street and big business, sweeping in a Democrat-dominated political order, so too is the Great Confinement in the form of lockdowns, shutdowns, and mandates, wrecked faith in the basic competence of the American government. As in 1932, the party out of power stands to benefit. He argues that the Great Confinement didn't work, that the pandemic tempted government and their elite allies to treat citizens as passive objects, like those in China, Cuba, and North Korea, The models of governance used in the pandemic fly in the face of our own self-perception, a sure formula for sowing distrust, resentment, and ultimately resistance, and that it has left scars on the national psyche. So when did I first, when I read Arthur Herman, I was having a flashback. I knew I had heard all this before. I knew I had read all this before. And it actually goes back to the spring of 2020, doing the Hillsdale Dialogue with Dr. Arn, who was, I think, the first person to express to me deep reservation about the choices being made. So it pains me to say it, but you were right and I was wrong. And now I want to know if you think Arthur Herman is right. Yeah, well, I, I, I actually, he's right about, about the facts that have transpired. He's deeply right. I pray that he's right about the effect, because what, what he says is basically... People don't like this, and they're not going to vote for it. And, you know, the, the, uh, the progressive forces, uh, they like to call themselves that now, uh, they got the bit between their teeth in the year 2020. And, you know, there have been pandemics down through time. And the way to deal with them has been the same down through time. And that is... If it's a very contagious virus, it's going to go all over the place. So what you do is you find the people that it's most likely to kill, and you do everything you can to isolate them. And that's, 
and that that's how you do it. Been been forever how you do it. This time is unique. They tried to isolate everybody. And that disruption of society, uh, the reason I knew that was crazy, there were two reasons. One is, I know a lot about college students. They're my favorite sport. And, <laughs> and you know, they want to be together, right? And, and they're just, you know, and so I'm going to send them away. Well, I did for a month because the pandemic hit in spring break and I couldn't get them back. They couldn't travel. Uh, and I was angry about that. And the first sign I got, and I, I, I just had complete confidence in this, the fact that I, I did a video to tell them, you can't come back. Well, it's not going to work. can't do it. But I hate that fact. And we're going to do this properly in the fall, come hell or high water. And meanwhile, you got to work on Zoom. you got to... Keep the code. Keep the code. You, you swore you would. You got to do it now. We will too. Well, I sent that to sixteen hundred students, and it was watched by one point five million people. Whoa! <laughs> I just, you know, I went. See, and I, and uh, you know, Vice President Pence, you know, in that evil and wicked and terrible administration, uh, <laughs> he's in charge of all this, and he said to me uh, on a Zoom call with a bunch of college presidents. Uh, he was trying to encourage us to have college in the fall. And every one of them said they would, but they needed a lot of money from him. And, you know, what they used the money for, by the way, was just general purposes. But also, they turned their colleges into police states, right? Checking on kids in their dorm rooms to see if they got their mask on, right? So he said to me, are you thinking about have college in the fall? And I said, no, sir. And he said, you're not even thinking about it. And I said, no, it's August 23rd. If anybody <laughs> tries to uh, stop us, we're going to sue him. And I, I had satisfied myself. And see, remember about this. Uh, since I've been at Hillsdale College, four students have died. Uh, leukemia, two car accidents, and a suicide which was in the year 2002, and it's the worst thing I ever have ever happened in my professional life. And I, we have enormous institutions to try to spot that and keep it from happening again. It's been a lot of money on it, too, but a lot of organized effort now. And the point is, I remember the names of those students, right? And so, and, and they're my responsibility, and they're not the responsibility of the czars and czarinas of health in the state of Michigan or anywhere else. And so they're, they're, you know, they closed for periods of time just about every college in Michigan in the year 2000, 2001. And we didn't close. And we were threatened about it, you know, and we had a legal position, you know. I, I was astonished that I was going to need one. But, you know, I directly threatened, we will close your college. And they, the, response, we, the response to you was, and how will you do that? And they didn't have an answer to that question. Uh, I, I said to one of them, you'll do it the way you've closed all these others. You just tell them to close. And then they do. And, they, and another long pause. And I said, you're going to have to think what you're going to do if we don't. 
Because we have thought about that. We know what we will do. Do they know how many Supreme Court clerks you've got running around on the alumni (laughs) rolls? And these, these things they passed, these are not laws. And I can explain specifically why. And the people who passed them are not experts. Here's a proof. So I, you know, because I have this responsibility, professional and personal responsibility to the well-being of the students here, and I take that seriously. It's my life's work. Um, if they die, as I tell them, it will be very inconvenient to me. So the first thing to do is to find out if they're going to die. If they're going to die, yes. So, so I searched and searched, right? I, I, you know, I'm no expert on the virus, and neither is anyone else. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, it, uh, I found that there were, every time you read somebody who was not associated with the bureaucracy, they were saying that we can tell how many people this is going to kill in short order. And I found the ones who were writing that the most, and they weren't saying, we know it's not. They were saying, you just do some tests and see how many people got it, and then look at the death rate. And it can't be, it's, it'd be unprecedented if it's as high as they're saying. So I found the people who were saying that, and, you know, they're, they're friend, three of them are friends of mine now, and they work with us on various things. But uh, the one I talked to was Jay Bhattacharya, who is a tremendous man at Stanford. And he's, you know, he's a very serious guy. And he said, you can know in a month. And I said, okay, I need to know in a month. Will you help me? And, you know, I have yet to pay him a nickel, although I've offered Oh, that's an oversight. You should send him. Uh, you should send him copies of your books. Yeah, that, that'll yeah, be good. I, we're going to come right back from break. Don't go anywhere because the Great Confinement by Arthur Herman posits that a fundamental thing has happened. And Doctor Herman's been saying for years, fundamental things are afoot. Before Trump showed up, he was right, and I think Arthur is right. And I think we're going to see it in 2022. And we're going to talk about it when we come back. The Hillsdale Dialogue this week is very much about the here and now. Go nowhere. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Stay tuned. There may be only one or two people in the Beltway who can actually tell the truth. You're listening to one of them. The truth continues when Hugh Hewitt returns in a moment. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. I want to uh, pick up on something Dr. Larry Aaron, president of Hillsdale College, told me. We were in the Hillsdale Dialogue, hillsdale.edu, during the last segment. Uh, my closest friend in the world, simply by measure of hours spent and duration of time and years, is a guy named Mark Guerin, who was, like Dr. Larry Aaron, the president of a college for a long time, Hobart and William Smith College. Um, He's now at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government. And Mark told me he had the best job in the world until he had the worst job in the world. And those worst job in the world days are when a student dies or is uh, criminally assaulted. He added that. I don't think you get many criminal assaults up in in Hillsdale. And he remembers their names as well. And it's interesting to me that you and he say the same. He he remembers all their names. Uh, It's a terrible because you're in. What's the Latin in parens? Uh, in loco parentis. Yes. You are the mother and father of these children, uh, Penny and Larry Arn. And it must be a horrible thing. 
But you know what? I want university presidents to be that way. And they're not like you and Mark. They are increasingly bureaucrats. Yeah. See, it's uh, uh, there's some complication about this that I can't remember. But I think that we are not legally in loco parentis. No, you're not. And I think that would carry liability that our general counsel doesn't want us to have. No, and I don't want but, John mad at me because he'll I, I read his I, I read his commentary on Sacramento Bee, and I don't want to get that man mad at me. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty tough. And the point is, never mind about the legal thing. I do not wish to inform their parents that they have died. Right. I don't want them to die. And I don't like that duty. Right. And it's I wouldn't want somebody to make that call to me about my children. And these are rather like my children. And so. So that leads me to my second question about Hillsdale. We had 100,000 opioid deaths in the United States last year, leading cause of death between 18 and 45 and especially between 18 and 25 is opioid fentanyl. How, How do you stop that at Hillsdale? What do you do? Because a lot of universities are not succeeding at that. Well, um, you know, touch wood, uh, we haven't had a lot of drug problems ever, but less lately. And, you know, the, the way you, you, how do you stop it? Well, you know, first of all, they're, they, they go away and they're living alone for the first time in their lives, living without their parents. And they live in the dorms. And that's, those are wonderful institutions. And in every dorm on every wing of every floor, there is a junior or senior student who's proved uh, wonderfully responsible, and they watch, and they organize life in the dorm. And those, you know, there's 150 kids here out of 1,600 doing that kind of stuff. They're prized jobs. If you meet somebody and they're an RA, they'll tell you right away. They tell me when I meet them. And that means they're serious people. They're prefects at Hogwarts. You betcha. That's right. That's right. And they're, and you know, they're, and they, they, you know, one of the, the most important institution about managing a staff is they have to plan together. And, you know, and now you, you don't just tell them what to do and certainly not individually. You organize for them to figure out what to do to the maximum extent possible. Uh, and so these kids are leaders here. And they're, you know, they're going to be, you know, I, I know that uh, because of graduates, they'll be leaders among the alums, too. And so you watch and you have to establish a code in a college that you can say. We have a speech code here. It's old. It says you can say what you want if you can say it in a civil and academic manner. And and so that's that's a code. And then I always tell the freshmen at the big meeting and repeatedly, look around you. Somewhere in your line of sight is your best friend in life. And you are to treat everybody like they're potentially that. Ah. And and then, you know, because we differ, I mean, you know, every class, just sit, sit 25, 20 smart kids down in a room to read any serious book or study any serious problem in math or science. Well, start with the simple fact that at the beginning they don't understand it very well. So there'll be disagreements everywhere. You have to work that out. 
right? And you do it together. When we come back, we're going to talk about that best friend line and about opioids and about Hillsdale not having that problem, Knockwood, and why it matters in the great confinement. Stay tuned. Stop action-packed information. Blitz, the Hugh Hewitt Show, is coming right back. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. All things Hillsdale, always available at hillsdale.edu. Go there and sign up for the monthly speech digest in Primus, absolutely free. Watch their online courses. The new one on David, Dr. Arn talked about last week, uh, wildly successful. Uh, Dr. Arn and I are talking about Arthur Herman's amazing op-ed in the Wall Street Journal of a couple of weeks back, The Great Confinement. Before I go there, though, uh, we were talking about opioids in the United States and the despair among young people, 18 to 25. And I have a proposition I want to test on you, so I know it's wrong, uh, is that people really want joy in their life and they'll try anything. But there are really very few things that cause joy. One of them is friendship. And we're going to talk about friendship in a series of Hillsdale Dialogues coming up. Another of them is learning. So if you provide both the joy of friendship and the joy of learning, and you might add in the joy of finding a lifetime partner and spouse at Hillsdale College, and they're not going to need opioids or even, of course, beer is part of college, but they're not going to even need that much beer. Uh, What do you make of my proposition that if you're providing the real thing, the substitutes don't matter? That's right. And, and, uh, and see, uh, you know, it's a famous thing. You know, it's in, it's in uh, Homer, for example, that soldiers who fight together against somebody, they, they develop a bond. The expression is two going together. They, 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 they face the danger, they suffer, and they're lifelong friends. Well, that's actually a model of what happens in the highest kinds of friendships, which Aristotle has identified as contemplative friendships. And see, it's so important for college to be difficult because they do it together, and that forms a bond. And the bond is not artificial. It, 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 it's just you know, the magic of the human being. The distinctive thing about him is that we think differently than any other creature and whatever we can think, we can say. And that means the internal life and the external life can be close. And so, and that's why you can figure things out better in a group, if the group operates right. And that means it has to aim toward knowledge and friendship in a college. And so you have to set it up. I mean, if you go to a college and, and you see that people are angry with each other, it means the college is breaking down. And that's the, you know, it's scenes of anger all the play. There's a little liberal arts college in close to here, and two guys came from there who are graduates, and they're concerned about the college, and they wanted to ask me how to fix it. And I basically said, good, you're young. It'll take a long time. <laughs> it, uh, the day before, the interim president of the college called me that college <laughs> and on that day the day before i didn't even know what the meeting was about the associate dean of men asked me to see these guys and i said sure i'll see them and 
He said, you got a meeting about my college tomorrow? And I said, do they? Do I? And he said, yeah. I said, who is it? And I looked on my calendar. Sure enough. He said, well, I just have a warning. There's a lot of social media chatter about that meeting. And I said, oh. He said, you didn't even know what it was about. And I said, no, I didn't. He said, if the associate DMN, we call him the chief, he's a retired chief petty officer, if the chief asked me to do something, I just do it. I don't have to know. You know, he's awesome. Good anyway, lieutenants, let's do the same thing. You betcha. <laughs> he, he said, uh, he said uh, well, there might be some press about this. That's my warning. And I said, and? And he said, well, you're not concerned about that. And I said, there's an article about us in the paper somewhere every day. Every day. Huh. You know, I mean, that's, you know, so, okay. Uh, if, if I fretted about that, I wouldn't think about anything else. And, and you see what that means? That one of those two guys is an alum. Both of them are actually, and one of them has been banned from the campus because he refused some insistence on white privilege. And he loves that place, right? He just he gives it money, and he 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 lives in the town where it is because he because he stayed there because he loves that place. Well, it's alienated. He has been alienated from it by them. And that just seems so foolish to me, right? And, and it also means that there's no reasoning going on there. It means they come see me, and I don't even know them. Because they need, they need to learn something. I go back to the Arthur Herman piece. He wrote, the models of governance, and this would apply to that liberal arts college, used during the pandemic fly in the face of our own self-perception. This is a sure formula for sowing distrust, resentment, and ultimately resistance. That resistance is already spilled in the streets of Europe cities and the highways in Canada. It is spilled onto the campus of that college, though it's not COVID-related. Resistance occurs when perception of reality simply does not conform to the dictates of authority. It, do- it doesn't work. You know, we are not stupid people. We are smart people. Look, you're so... You're a lawyer. I have the honor not to be. But I think it's true, you can check me, that in the law, there are two ways you can be culpable. You can intend a law, law, or you can be negligent in in ways that are demonstrable and make you guilty. Intentional torts and negligent torts, you betcha. So the point is, what they're saying to people is that if you're white, you're a racist, and you have to... Make up for that. And, and eventually, you know, because, you know, look, we, you know, I think that we have made a mess of race relations for much of American history. I think there was a sort of a golden period where we were actually explicitly pursuing the idea that we're all supposed to be treated alike. And, and but, but, you know, now we have preferences of all kinds and we have set-asides and we have all that stuff, Right. And the effect of that... Not for long, Dr. Arn. My friend and yours, the Chief Justice, has said the only way to end discrimination is to end discriminating on the basis of race, and it's coming. Yeah, and see, that that will be glorious, right? And that goes along with Arthur Herman's article. Uh, It's either going to get a lot worse these days, or it's going to get a lot better. And I prefer to bet on better because it keeps my dauber up. I think, I think it's going to get better because, again, this is, this is about human nature. You cannot fly in the face of human nature. Now, I want to go back to the Great Confinement 
Because something you said about collagen opioids and joy, something I said about joy made me think when they put the great confinement, they being every bureaucrat behind every lockdown measure. Now, I'm a pro vaccine, pro booster person. People know that. Uh, and I believe in, in, in being smart. But they crushed friendship. Uh, you've got to be together. Zoom won't cut it. I mean, it will cut it for a little bit. But if you crush friendship, you crush a lot in the United States, Dr. Arn. True or false? Yeah. And, you know, people, there's, you know, uh, I'm a gadget guy. And I, I like to read tech blogs sometimes, except they're all very evil now. And they have this big debate about whether you can do everything virtually that you can do in reality. And the point is, why would you want to? <laughs> you know, what, and, but that's manifestly, did, did you point out, you cannot teach as well remotely as you can in person. You can still teach, but you cannot teach as well. That's simply not true. You know, it, it is a fundamental fact about a human being that it has a rational soul, and you can see it in the operation of the human being. But there's this other fact. They also have bodies. <laughs> And that's what makes them unique, right? A rational soul and a mortal body. And the challenges of being a human being, that's why courage is the first of the virtues. It means the right disposition toward pain to the body. And moderation is the second of the primary virtues, and that means the right disposition toward pleasure of the body to begin with. And so you and then and then there's this weird thing that, you know, we have these we have boxers in my family, and we have two puppies at the same time as we have the granddaughter. And so once again, I get to watch them grow up together, right? And the boxer dogs are extremely tight. They hang out. They sleep laying on each other, right? They're never going to talk to each other. And that means Aristotle is correct. The human being is more gregarious than horses and bees because the things in our soul can be fully shared. And, and the great confinement has interfered with that. And the question that Arthur, and I want to come back to this in the last segment, but I want to give you a minute head start. Has that fundamentally altered American politics in the way that the Great Depression did? That's Arthur's proposition. Do you agree or disagree? Uh, uh, I'll say I pray so. I think it may be true. But Arthur's, you know, he's exciting and and uh, colorful and makes big claims. And I love that about him. Do you know, there isn't any really interesting person in America who does not show up at Hillsdale every now and then. Mm. I, well, I think that's true. Well, we, you know, we see, you know, who gets to speak at Hillsdale? Uh, you know, I, I, the ones we invite, which are a lot of them, we want people who have something to say and can say it in a civil and academic manner. And, and uh, you know, that's, it's a very conservative college, and the speakers are mostly conservative. But, uh, you know, that's it's not confined to that. Boy, I hope uh, you have Justice Breyer after his retirement. Uh, you two would have an amazing conversation because he doesn't know the founding very well, but he knows modern law very well. And you don't know modern law because you don't have to because it's going to change, but you know the founding very well. I think that would be a fantastic conversation. You know, I'll tell you something. Let's say I know somebody on the Supreme Court pretty well. I know more than one, but I know one pretty well. And uh, I hear that Justice Breyer is the nicest guy walking. I can confirm that by personal experience and by others on the court, not the one you're naming. Mm -hmm. There's just, you know, so what a fine man, right? And you don't, 
you know, it's doubtless I disagree with that man on many very important things, but we can talk about that. That would right? be that would be a pay for view uh, Hillsdale dialogue, and I think I think I hope that happens. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm coming right back with Dr. Larry Arn. All things Hillsdale are collected at Hillsdale.edu. All the dialogues are available, and they are organized, actually sequentially organized from the first to the most recent. At iTunes, because iTunes has an algorithm that neither Hillsdale nor the Hugh Hewitt Show has, and so they're ahead of us on that. So simply Google Hillsdale Dialogue and iTunes, and you can start at the beginning and get right to the present if you've got uh, 400 weeks at hand. I'll be right back to conclude Arthur Herman and the Great Confinement. Hillsdale Dialogue rolls on right after this. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hilldale College. Dr. Arn, the Great Confinement began under Donald Trump, who was himself a force majeure in American politics and remains so. So we may not have been paying attention. A lot of people may have thought, may have gotten their Great Confinement reactions mixed up with their Trump reactions. Trump is now at least separated for a time from the public square, and we are studying the Great Confinement on its own. I don't know that 10% of Americans approve of what has happened. Yeah, it's not. Uh, you know, I, I uh, wrote something in the December Imprimus that goes along the same line as Arthur Herman. It's, it's entitled The Way Out. And uh, the way out, I claim, is in our attachment to nature. And that is, and nature just means how we are born and grow. And sustain ourselves, right? And so there are two aspects of nature that are primary. And one of them is our children, right? Now, just mind you, Loudoun County, Virginia, is a blue county. And those parents don't like the way their kids are being treated. Not at all. And they complained of it. And so they sicked the FBI on them. And they didn't back down. And now they have sued Loudoun County to enforce the governor's executive order, making it optional for students to mask or not mask. And the Loudoun County determined that they would ignore the governor, duly elected two months ago. And now the students, the parents are suing, suing Loudoun. I don't know if you knew that, but good on they them. Care, you know, the people, you know, if you don't, if we come to the place where parents do not care about their children, then we're, we've passed out of the condition of human, right? And the other example I give is in... A red county, this county, uh, and and the the example I give is Spangler's Diner. This is, by the way, if you come to Hillsdale, this is the land of diners, and they're very competitive. And there's there's refined opinions about which is the best, but the general opinion is Spangler's is the best, and that's fifty year old business supporting three generations, and he was ordered to close, and he did close the first order, and he could calculate the result. And then the second order came, and he said, I'm going to lose my business if I close. And like me, he had been studying it up. And, and he's very eloquent. Well, anyway, he, we became the legal aid society for all the little, little businesses around here that were trying to survive. And he just dug in his heels, and he wouldn't close. And he got fined. You know, he eventually beat them all in court. And... Why? Because this whole thing was uh, an interpretation, uh, and a, by the way, like a pinball going back and forth between two emergency powers acts that are on the books in Michigan. 
And the old one after the Second World War, one of the reasons not to have big wars is after they're over, you pass stupid laws. And then there is a modern one, 30 years later. And the modern one says, you got to talk to the legislature. And, you know, every 30 days. And that's just, you know, basic 101 separation of powers. And our governor started out under that one. And the first time she got turned down, she went to the old one. And then, Lord help us, she lost in the Michigan Supreme Court, the great, uh, uh, come on, Steve, God, I had a mental block. Uh, he was the chief justice of the Supreme Court, and he'd been teaching at Hillsdale for 25 years. That happens to me every day. Yeah, and he, it's terrible. I mean, I know him, I've known him since I was a boy almost. Anyway, it'll come to me. And he wrote a great opinion, and then he retired, and the court changed, and he said she can't do this under this old emergency act. And so what she did the next week was she delegated all the same powers to the health department. And that means what she's saying, and there's complicated reasons about where the health party's authority comes from, right? But just step back from that and look at the big situation. She has now admitted that she, an elected official, cannot act this way, doesn't have the authority to act that way, so she gave it to some bureaucrats, and they act this way. And we believed all along that these laws stood on a shaky foundation, and we were prepared to challenge And By the uh, way, my, my producer suggests the justice's name you're listening for is Stephen Markman. Markman! You see, it took 21 years, but Dwayne produced something. Yeah, Dwayne, yeah. aren't you a great man? And finally. It's and I have years. that on tape now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm afraid, yeah, I'm afraid Steve will hear this because he is a familiar friend of mine <laughs> and a highly valued teacher at Hillsdale College still. <laughs> Tell him the elevator always comes up. It just takes a while when we get older. Now, you, that guy who just spoke up in Hempers, what's that guy's name again? I don't remember him. He's never been in the <laughs> studio before. <laughs> Mark was the name. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we have a minute left. Let's let's stick the dismount. What is going to happen, Larry? If Whitmer wins, I, everything we've said will be a repudiation. She cannot win. Well, I pray not. And and see, I I you know I've been saying since the beginning, uh, Arthur Herman is just you know he's certain he's very good, and I've been saying since the beginning, if in the end the American people will put up with all this. We've been finished for a long time, but I think not. What he I, says is, no, they won't. That's right. That's it. I think not from Larry. No, they won't. Hugh Hewitt says, I pray you're both right. Dr. Larry Arn, the Hillsdale Dialogue will be back on Shakespeare next week, America. Don't miss it. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Justice Markman, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. absolutely positively need the truth this is where you turn this is the hugh hewitt show